Hey there, friend. Welcome back to Self-Care with Kelsey. My name is Kelsey Bentley, and that's Kelsey with an IE. And I blog about all things self-care and finding your spark at simplybentley.com. And before we get started on this episode, I just want to say there are a couple of grown-up words used in this episode. So if you have littles while you are listening, you may want to save this episode for another time. Today is a special episode because I have my friend Paulette Arado here. In her own words, Paulette is a curly-haired, child-free, dirty-mouthed Latina who loves subverting stereotypes. She is here to inspire other child-free women of color and femmes over 40 to become the most creative versions of themselves through DIY fashion and food. Paulette is for makers. This is where ordinary people become extraordinary makers. Paulette, welcome to Self-Care with Kelsey. How are you today? I'm great, Kelsey. Thanks so much for having me on. It's so great to be here with you. I am so glad to have you. Why don't, that was like a lovely little bit of your own words at the beginning, but would you like to add anything, who you are, who you help, what you do, any of that kind of thing? Sure. So I'm Paulette Arado. I am a married child-free woman who lives in Los Angeles and born and raised, so I'm a native. (laughs) But um, what my passion is in life is convincing everyone that they are all creative. Too many people say words like, oh, I'm not creative because I can't draw or I can only draw a stick figure. And it breaks my heart because as children, we were all creative and no one had to tell us that we were or weren't, we just did. And somewhere along the way, we grow up and we forget that, or it's been unfortunately removed from our lives for whatever reason by you know circumstances or even just well-meaning individuals. And there are too many adults who forgot about that. And I want to help everyone rediscover it. I want future generations to not even have to remember because they weren't given the chance to forget. I want us to raise children, even though I don't have any of my own. I want future generations to grow up believing they're all creative, they're all artists, they're all makers, because you are. I love that so much. And you know, even as you're talking, I was thinking about that because I'm like the kids that, you know, get a little older into like their teenage years and they don't think they're creative, but they might've been the ones playing pretend or drawing or, you know, whatever, like all kinds of different things as a little kid. And then somewhere along the way, you know, that was like you said, kind of they were convinced that that wasn't creative enough. So I really, I love that kind of imagery that you put along with that. Thank you. Yeah. So this is a self-care podcast. So I'm just wondering Mm -hmm. if making has ever been part of your self-care regimen or how you feel about that. Oh, Kelsey, let me (laughs) tell you a story. I love stories. I, um, at some point along the way, believed I wasn't creative too right? I was actually a working photographer right after college. I worked in a studio on campus at uh, UCLA and was being paid to take pictures. I also had my own, uh, you know, thing that I did outside of the, that nine to five job where I shot bands. I did headshots. I'm in LA. This is what we do, right? And that paid my bills. And there was this horrible niggling thought in the back of my head that told me that wasn't sustainable because I bought into the idea that art doesn't pay the bills. And yet it was paying the bills, but I ignored all of that and went and I got myself an office job. And for the next 13, 14 years of my life, I developed a wonderful career, very um, successfully 
as an event manager. And I traveled all around the country putting together business to business conferences. And I was good at that, but I hated it because when you work with certain segments of the population who have never heard the word no, and this is in <laughs> different industries that I got to do this, um, you have to become very adept at making people hear yes when you're saying no, so that they just follow the damn rules of your organization. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I'm sorry, you have to wear your badge on the floor so that we know that you're supposed to be here. You know, dumb things like that. And it was just grueling. The travel schedule was really getting to me. And, uh, you know, like, quite frankly, I couldn't enjoy the money I was making because I was never home. I had to be in Chicago, which is 2,000 miles from Los Angeles five days before I got married. So oh my God, you know, it was like that. And um, two months after I got married, I got very sick, very sick. And I, I knew it was stress induced and I fought it for a little bit and was not getting better. And so finally I, I, I had to, what I felt was give up. I had to give up and quit my job. And my husband convinced me we will be okay. But I was like, I lived in scarcity at the time mm -hmm. and believed that if I didn't work, I one, didn't have an identity. Like who was I, I had taken care of myself all of my life. Mm -hmm. Who am I to now depend on a man? And the other part was, okay, this is just for now. I'm just doing this for now. I'm going on a sabbatical, let's say. And the following year I started getting better and took a contract job. So I was working as an event manager for someone else, like under someone else on their team. Mm -hmm. And it really just solidified how unhappy I was in that career. And I said, I'm never doing that again. Mm -hmm. I'm never doing that again. And I had to figure out what I was doing. In the meantime, my little creative juices started flowing. I allowed myself to indulge in these creative aspects. I used to be a food blogger while I was like, in the middle of my man, uh, event management career. And I really enjoyed that, but it was just for fun, right? Like mm -hmm. I wasn't trying to be like the pioneer woman. And in fact, <laughs> that blog has terrible SEO. I didn't know any of these things, you know, whatever. It was just for fun. But I really learned to cook through it because mm -hmm. there was a point in time when I, I had a boyfriend over and I was going to make a Mexican rice and I had to call my mom. I was like, how do you make Mexican rice? Because I was <laughs> like, I didn't, I was so ill-prepared <laughs> for that sure. whole experience. Um, but creating food, making food, enjoying food has just, it's my love language. And I mm -hmm. discovered that through this little outlet I had that gave me a break from work. Mm -hmm. And right after we got married, I started learning to sew. And actually I've I, I, it's been five years that I've been sewing. So my closet is full of clothes I've made. I, I basically only wear clothes I've made. Through that, I've learned that the application of art and science is in everything. Because let mm -hmm. me tell you how much geometry and just plain applied <laughs> math is in sewing. Like just converting from fractions of an inch to, it's, it's it's crazy. All kinds of funny calculations. I was trying to figure, this is not going to make any sense to you, but it proves a point. So bust darts are the way that you shape a shirt. Uh -huh. And so they come up from the side seam to your, the apex of your bust, to your nipple, mm -hmm. uh, somewhere in between there. And to figure out how to create one from scratch, you have to use a hypotenuse triangle. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, art and science. Art and science belong together. 
So um, yes, I have used all of these creative outlets as my self-care. Mm-hmm. And I didn't recognize the richness that lives in creative energy until I really got to dive deep into those things and really just go all in on a hobby that was the distraction from this job that was slowly killing me. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, the God's honest truth is that the job was killing me. And had I tried to continue to bravely fight through that, I might not be here today. Yeah. And that's not something I want. That's not a reality I want to even examine. Mm-hmm. But through my creative feats, I guess you could say through my creative projects, I found who I am. I know food's mm-hmm. my love language. I love to cook for, and if I cook for you, that's a big deal. Like, like I've welcomed you to my table. Mm-hmm. That means that you are, you matter to me, that you are in my little inner circle because I don't cook for just anybody. <laughs> First of all, it's a lot of work, right? <laughs> because I, I'm, I'm not just going to make like mac and cheese. It's going to have like five different cheeses and they're going to be expensive. So you better be worth it. No, I'm just kidding. But I do like to elevate simple food. And in fact, later on this year, I will have a cookbook coming out along that theme. Awesome. And then, you know, but just sewing as, as another layer of creativity has also really just, it gives me something to focus on. It helps interrupt the brain from the business side of life. Mm-hmm. No, I love that so much. And especially there's two things I want to highlight about that. Um, the first one being, I think it's very interesting that you had a food blog and there's two sides to this one that it wasn't, you didn't see it as a business, which I think kind of loops back to that starving artist narrative you were talking about before. And then two, I think that it's really cool how you put together the having something to really focus in on with sewing, because I think any type of activity like that, that we do, that's really stressful. I know for me, I love to crochet. And so the last two presidential elections, I have sat furiously crocheting all evening, like turn this news off. I'm going to sit here and crochet and not think about anything. And it does, it really, it just, it gets you into some kind of a rhythm. It's something to focus on. It's very methodical, you know, so it kind of, it's, it's good to have something like that, that you can really focus in on. And I think that that's really cool. And that's such a neat part of your journey too. Thank you. And in fact, I learned to crochet when I was about eight years old and could never do much more than make scarves. But I'm with you on the fact that like focusing in on, you know, counting your stitches and things like that is a really great distraction from the stresses of life. And you did Mm -hmm. much more productive things than me. I was just drinking through the last three elections. Well, I didn't say there wasn't drinking. (laughs) Drunken crocheting. Yeah. I made a lovely little basket. I made some dishcloths with a scalloped oh, edge. Nice. It was it was some pretty so cool stuff. Fancy. Yeah. So Paulette, you have some pretty strong feelings about people being persuaded to monetize their hobbies and monetize their creative gifts. Would you like to talk about that? I am a hundred percent opposed to monetizing your hobbies. And here's why. Now, I wanna be very clear that I understand that some people have to, and they do it out of necessity. And that is great if you have to. Um, 
I recognize that not everybody comes from the same place of privilege and you got to hustle to get what you want. That being said, you need something else that is solely yours, that is not for the world. It is not for capitalism. It is not to sell because when you take your hobby, that is your creative outlet, and then you try to make a business out of it, there are certain things that can happen. One, you lose the creative outlet as just nothing more than the outlet, than the distraction, the thing mm-hmm. that feeds your soul, the thing that de-stresses you. Because now you have to make the money to maintain your business and that's a whole other ball of wax. And as Kelsey, Kelsey as a business owner, you know that like <laughs> <laughs> the dollars and cents are the bottom line. It's not how you feel about a product you put out. If the product doesn't sell, you're up a creek, yeah. right? So I firmly believe that no matter what you do for a living, it can be a creative thing. It could not be a creative thing. It can be a hustle of an artistic thing that you are very good at, wonderful, have something else because that <laughs> something else is your self-care. Yes. I sew for me. I put pictures of it on the internet. I put it on my blog because again, DIY fashion is how I show people that, hey, you can be a maker too. Uh, but I don't sell those clothes. I don't sell my services because I do it for me. And in fact, I have a really huge problem with this term in the sewing community called selfish sewing. Oh. Because first of all, hobbies should 100% be selfish. Yeah. They feed your soul. Yours. Mm-hmm. They can also benefit others, but the point of departure should be that they feed your soul. They fill your cup. Mm-hmm. I love that. If a that. hobby isn't doing that, why mm-hmm. are you doing it? And hobbies can look like all kinds of things. Like, you know, some people go to the gym instead of crocheting like you and I do, or they, you know, play hopscotch with their kids, whatever it is, you know, hobby, hobbies is a huge umbrella term. So many things that can fall un- into that bucket. So I'm not saying that only creative outlets are hobbies. No, no, my, my brothers play sports for their hobbies. It's fine. I lift weights too. <laughs> you know, that is definitely a de-stressor for me. Mm-hmm. But I do that for me. Even if you play in a team, you're doing it for you. When you flip the script and try to make money from the thing that you love, mm-hmm you are then sacrificing a part of your self-care. Absolutely. I love that. It's it's up to the individual whether or not it's worth it for them. Mm -hmm. My thing is just make sure you still have something for you, something else. And sometimes then you're going to have to carve out more time. The old adage that you, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. You, You know that one, right? Oh, do I ever. (laughs) <laughs> the flip side of that is you never take a day off either. Oh, oh, that's because a you good never one. Stop. And you and I have both seen business owners hitting the pavement as hard as possible to build their businesses and burning themselves out in a glorious bonfire. Mm-hmm. And then what do you have to show for it? Because mm-hmm. your business is a hundred percent dependent on you. Yeah. 
That I mean, that's exactly where I was five years ago, Paulette. I mean, not that like I loved doing hair and I was enjoying my career, but again, like you said, I never took a day off, even when it was not my day to be at work. It was also not my day off because I was answering messages or I was going into the supply house or doing whatever. And you're right. I mean, there does need to be, even if you love what you do, even if you love your job, there needs to be some separation. There needs to be some time. And you have to, something that I have learned and been working on recently is you have to be okay with allowing yourself that time too, because there can be this sense of guilt, this like, I mean, I think you've posted about it before and I think I have probably at some time or another, but this internalized capitalism that's like, why don't on that note, because you've had a lot of stuff lately about rest and rest being productive. So do you want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. This actually uh, stems, well, I included this, what I'm about to tell you about this whole philosophy. And of course I just built that will uh, be coming up for um, consumption. <laughs> this, this is the job part of me um, sure. later on this summer. And there's a whole module on procrastination because again, as the capitalistic society we've grown up in, that we've been indoctrinated into, because let's be honest, that's what <laughs> internalized capitalism is, indoctrination. It, um, we've been made to believe that unless we're being productive all the time, we are lazy. And there's a huge spectrum in between lazy and unproductive or productive and laziness that most of us live in. You know, it's a bell curve, mm -hmm. right? So most of us in, are in the middle. You cannot be 100% productive all the time because you are not a robot. Mm -hmm. And by the way, even if you were a robot, robots have to be taken offline for maintenance. Your maintenance yeah. comes at the end of every day when you go to sleep yeah. because you are a human and you need rest. I was going to say, I would even argue when you have the end of your working hours, when you're working hours for the day, you know, there's even a little window there before bed. I think that's maintenance time too. It's time to just unwind and decompress and all that kind of thing too. Oh yeah. The third space. The third space. The third space is super important. And sometimes that's where our hobbies live. Mm -hmm. Our creative outlets, our, our de-stressors live in the third space between mm -hmm. work and home. And sometimes your work and home are in the same space but you can have spatial anchors. Like mm -hmm. I remember when I used to work at the kitchen table, we no longer had a dining table. We had Paulette's workspace. <laughs> <laughs> then there was the kitchen, the living room and our bedroom. <laughs> so it was like, but I would get up from that table and go into the living room at the end of the work day. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a separate space now that I can walk out of and physically leave. I don't mm -hmm. have to like pack things up for there to be a spatial change but it's just little tweaks like that. It's like physically removing myself mm -hmm. from that corner of the kitchen. So sometimes you have to create your third space because you're in, you're literally in the same space, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that it's really important to create, to carve out another little space, even if it's transitional. Like for me, when I worked at the kitchen table, there was an mm -hmm. open space to the living room but mm -hmm. I didn't return back to the kitchen table until my work hours resumed the next day. Mm -hmm. Now, yes, I may have checked email on my phone <laughs> uh, while I was sitting on the couch drinking wine and watching TV, or really I'm more of a beer drinker, so. But, um, but it, it uh, I remember 
there, there's a significant difference of how I go about it now than when I worked that very grueling job. The urgency and the panic aren't there when I lazily check my email from the couch. <laughs> it's more like, okay, I'll, I'll deal with that later. Not, oh my gosh, I have to get to the office now because there's a fire burning now. And so part of the module on procrastination and rest is how when your body stops, stops starts throwing up resistance flares. Mm -hmm. And this was, you know, I lived this when my body all of a sudden started breaking out into massive hives. And I don't mean a little dot here and there. I meant my entire torso is covered in huge red welts. Oh my. That was a huge red flag. <laughs> but you know, in the last two weeks, my body's been like, I don't want to go into my office today. Like literally walk across the kitchen into my office. Like, I'm going to stay out here a little bit longer. I'm listening to that mm -hmm. because that's my brain and body telling me not yet. And it's doing that for a reason. Your brain is your friend. Your brain is trying to protect you. So sometimes when you're resisting going back to work, you know, finishing a project, it's because your best ideas for those things haven't yet come to the forefront. Your mm -hmm. brain hasn't finished marinating on an idea. It's um, it's brilliant idea that it's trying to bring to your consciousness. So just let it marinate a little longer and do something else. Yeah. So, um, and someone pointed out to me that the words I use are very clear what like my love language is. I talk about food and I use food verbs and food adjectives like marinating, noodling on and yeah. things like that. So that was a real eye opener last week. Someone pointed that out. Um, so yeah, all procrastination is not bad. Leonardo da Vinci took 16 years to finish the Mona Lisa and it probably wasn't done when he died. I love that so much, so much, because, you know, we do, we give ourselves a hard time. And then it's like, even though you are procrastinating, I'm like air quotes right now, even though you are procrastinating, it's not even productive rest. You know what I mean? It's not even rest that you can actually enjoy and get something from because you're just marinating, as you would say, marinating in this guilt and the shame for like not being enough and not doing enough. And I think that is such a huge part of our culture. And I think for me, at least um, last year when the salon got shut down and all that kind of stuff, it was very challenging for me to figure out how to show up and who to show up as when I had all that time off and, and had to really pay attention to, okay, what am I going to do all day long without all these obligations standing in my way? It was, it was an interesting time for sure, but I would definitely say there was some productive rest that got done in there too, for not just me, but lots of people in the industry. Oh, and I hope so because you're on your feet all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was really interesting there for a while to see, you know, because I think our industry, like as hairstylists, is very interesting because a lot of us, most of us do love what we do, but again, it's that whole, it's monetized. And so we have all these obligations and all of these outside factors we have to consider. And so when you love it, it's hard to realize sometimes how quickly you're burning yourself out and, you know, you want to be of service. And, and most of us are the types of people that want to make people feel good. I mean, like that's such a bonus from that, but at the same time, you often don't have the time or the space to really pause and reflect 
on how are you making yourself feel? Yeah, it's all in how you approach it mentally, right? Mm -hmm. Like your brain, again, your brain that loves you and loves to protect you is so powerful. You know, it powers your mind, right? And your mind can make you believe all kinds of things that aren't necessarily true. Mm-hmm. The, the, the truth of the matter is that a lot of the beliefs we have as adults, we established as children before all of the experience we had now as adults. Like for example, some are, some are great, right? Because like you were taught at an early age not to touch a hot stove. And you either learned that because your parents drilled it into you or by the unfortunate accident of touching a hot stove. So you got the lesson. <laughs> You learned not to do that. But like, for me, here's an example. My, I grew up with um, my parents telling me they hated a certain type of music. And I was like, well, I hate it too, obviously. Uh, uh-huh. This happens with people in their political beliefs or their beliefs about food or stuff like that. And the other day I actually sat back and I'm like, do I really not like that music? Or did I just grow up in a house where people didn't like that music? Now it turns out I don't like it. It's true. (laughs) But again, I had to examine that belief. I'm like, is that true? Or is that just a story I told myself? Is that a limiting belief? And I'm like, okay, that one's true. But I also grew up not liking salmon. And the other day I made this kick-ass salmon and I was like, oh, hey, maybe this doesn't suck. I love that. And you know, um, it's interesting because in his book, Think Like a Monk, um, Jay Shetty has like a good, I don't know if it's a whole chapter or a good section of a chapter where he talked about something really similar. He was like, you know, when you have a really strong belief about something, he's like, it's a good idea to pause and ask yourself where that belief is coming from and whether it's a belief that you want to keep. And, you know, he really kind of, he kind of took the shame out of like, it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to learn new things and to decide to believe differently. It just means that you have more information now, or you have looked at things in a different way and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. That's part of growth. Mm-hmm. At the world through new lenses, through the lenses of new experiences, new filters, and recognizing maybe the way you saw things before wasn't exactly correct, or it wasn't in alignment with what your current beliefs are. And that's okay. Growth is great. Growth is wonderful. It's just harder to see emotional, mental growth than it is to see physical growth. Like I lift weights. When the weights get heavier, I know I'm physically stronger. I mean, that's very obvious. Again, it's math. Yeah. But, you know, so the other stuff, the spiritual growth, the emotional, the mental, all of those are, are a little more difficult to quantify, but they happen. And Mm -hmm. you just, you have to be aware. That's all. Yeah. And I think too, it can be hard to give ourselves enough credit for how far we've come. Oh, especially as women. We're so used to just putting ourselves second and, oh my gosh, we have to stop that BS. I don't know if your podcast is PG, but I'll keep my... (laughs) my true feelings on that to myself we'll just use more polite language but come on come on and I know Kelsey you talk a lot about being a people pleaser Mm. and how that just came so naturally to and how that's actually selfish right because you're trying to make yourself feel better yeah like and that's like the total wrong way to go about making yourself feel better like the word no is so freeing and just like No, I cannot please you people. Not today. Yes. Well, and that it's, um, 
somebody pointed out you're trying to control someone else's experience if you yeah. never give them the experience of having been told no just like what you were talking about with your previous career mm-hmm. if you you know you can tell them yes all day long but are you hindering their growth because they need to grow through you telling them no and not that we're responsible for anybody else's growth but just simply we you know they can just decide even if we do do what we think they want us to do it doesn't mean they're going to have the reaction that we think they're that they should have to it right you can't orchestrate that right because no. people are are like wildly divergent animals and <laughs> One of the things I teach in my course is that like your brain looks like everybody else's brain, maybe on the outside, but it doesn't operate the same. And your Mm -hmm. memory bank, like your experience of the pandemic versus my experience of the pandemic are going to be completely different. We're in different places, locales, we're in different stages of our lives. We are, have different backgrounds. So we're not experience, we're both experiencing the same pandemic. It's global, the entire world is experiencing it, but no two people are experiencing it the same. In fact, my husband and I stuck in the same house for the last 13 months are not experiencing it the same. For me, I was like, I can't wait to get outside. I love people, <laughs> I, I like draw my energy from them. I am a hyper extrovert. We're finally going to a party next weekend with all of our vaccinated friends. And Ryan's like, okay, great. Now, was Ryan working from home the whole time that during this whole 13, he was, oh, (laughs) oh, no, no, no. It's been wonderful. It's been wonderful. I am actually so incredibly surprised by how well my husband and I get along. I shouldn't be because we (laughs) did all the work before we got married to establish this solid foundation, but you know, a pandemic, like these are unforeseen and and heretofore, <laughs> unparalleled, <laughs> just throwing out all of my million dollar words, unparalleled it. experiences, like who else could we really have used as an example of how to navigate through this and still be so strong. And it's, it's been fantastic. And, and I know that's because one, he's happy doing what he's doing, right? Mm-hmm. He loves what he does. And he actually changed jobs in the middle of the pandemic. Oh. And he is much happier in his new environment. So he took the steps to make sure that he was getting what he needed. And his wife over here was like, I'm a creative force and I live in my creativity and that's what makes me happy. But I knew that going in. So we were able to play to our strengths despite being with each other 24 seven. I remember sometimes I'd be like, I'm gonna go to the store by myself while you're working just, just to have some separation. I was like, not because I don't like him and not because I don't like spending time with him, but I mean, we'd seen each other for 72 days straight. <laughs> like, right. Maybe you should go to the store next week by yourself, <laughs> you know, just, just for like that, that hour where we're not in each other's space. And we have, you know, our home has allowed us to have our own separate workspaces, but it's still, we're inside the same four walls. Yeah. Yeah. So Paulette, you actually, in this time, in these months, in your home with your husband, you actually even released a book. I did, didn't I? (laughs) You did. You wrote and released a book during the middle of the global pandemic. So was that fully creative? Like, Oh man, that That was, that was what I call a labor of love. And I, um, I I think I've always been naturally, naturally been a writer slash storyteller. didn't recognize that until the pandemic. So, you know, the pandemic did have a silver lining in some ways. And um, so 
when my niece turned 18, she's the only girl, she's the oldest grandchild. She, um, I wanted to give her what I felt I didn't have at that age because I also went away to college. Of, you know, I went on to the East Coast, she went up North. Um, we've had a lot of parallels in our lives, she and I. And I remember college feeling kind of weird and it was a huge culture shock because I came from Los Angeles hugely diverse city, went to a place that was not quite that. And it was, and also I was, I mean, I, I, I went to school with Donald Trump's son. So there was a different economic background to the people I grew up with and the people I was now in college with. So it was super shocking. And I knew she was gonna experience some of that as well. So I wanted to give her some, a, a, a roadmap, so to speak. So the year before the pandemic, I wrote this book that was based on five lessons I wish I knew at the time. And then I think I expanded to like six. And the theme of the book is that benchmarks are bullshit. And so that's the title, benchmarks are bullshit. And a year after, you know, we're going into the pandemic and I was like, should I actually turn this into a saleable product? It was originally just a gift for her and the family. And the more people who read it, the more I was, inclined to say, yeah, this is something that I could put out there into the world. And it's received wonderful feedback. So there's six lessons based on the things I wish I knew at 18, but have also learned, you know, since then in the 25 years since then. And it's common sense stuff to you and me because we're no longer 18 and, you know, going off into the world for the first time, like, don't, don't take that credit card. <laughs> Do not take that credit card that they're going to make very easy for you to get. And here's why this is how you want to approach credit. Um, benchmarks are bullshit comes from the lesson that not everyone has the same milestones and we don't all reach them in the same way or at the same pace. I was 18 when I went to college, but I was 24 when I graduated and I'm not a doctor. I just went to three <laughs> different schools. I was not under 30 when I first got married and I'm not having children. I was 38 when I got married. And so if I had held myself to the standard of all of my friends who were getting married before 30, I would be miserably unhappy with my lot in life. And I was like, but why would I want to do that to myself? Again, it's a mindset. I don't want to feel bad about the way my life has played out because my life has played out pretty nicely. We just talked about how my husband and I spent 13 months locked inside the same four walls and we don't hate each other. We're yeah. actually more in love. So, you know, something went right. I did something right. And so benchmarks are bullshit. Your milestones are your own and your life script is not based on anyone else's. And it really breaks my heart when someone thinks that they have a limited amount of time to reach this like point in their lives and they're a failure if they don't, because mm -hmm. what are you basing that against? Who convinced you of that? And why do you hang on to that so tightly? Yeah, no, I, I love every word of that, Paulette. That is it's amazing, you know, because as somebody else who is not living by others' benchmarks, um, it's just refreshing to see that from someone and to share those kinds of non-traditional type experiences. It's just so, it's so good. And I think it's one of the beautiful gifts of the internet too, is bringing more of these stories out. Yeah. And I think for both you and I, Kelsey, like, because we do have non-traditional female roles, right? Mm -hmm. We, more of us, 
need to be out there. Like I, I, I did not see curly haired Latina girls on TV when I was a child. So I didn't have an imaginary friend. I thought only white kids had them because that's all I saw on TV. That was my worldview. Now I'm older now and I know what was happening there. It was the eighties. There wasn't a lot of diversity in television, but I want to be out there saying, you know, you can do this too. Here's Mm -hmm. an example of a woman in her forties who's got the fun hair and doesn't abide by society's prescribed rules. I mean, I I drive within the speed limit most of the time. I follow most of the laws. I mean, it's one of us. (laughs) (laughs) I drive a V8, I mean, in in LA. So, Uh, you know, sometimes I can speed, sometimes I can't. It's way easier here. (laughs) (laughs) With your no stop lights. With our no stop lights. Nope, nine miles for the closest one. This is representation. This, mm-hmm. this is what representation looks like. So little girls can grow up thinking, oh, I don't have to get married and have kids. If I don't want to, there are choices. Because growing up, how many people didn't think, or like, I know my, my own husband was like, yeah, two kids, picket fence and a dog, right? Like, that's what you're supposed to do. And I was like, no. And if that's what you want, you need to go somewhere else to find it. I remember that conversation very clearly. And he was like, oh and clearly he enjoyed that choice yeah well and it's you know it's funny because it's almost like not even shown as an option like but how will you be fulfilled oh the question I get asked a lot is who's going to take care of you like why are you having children if it's just to take care of you in your old age that's that's a horrible burden I will take care of my parents but right (laughs) that's that's not what they expect like you make good financial a, decisions. Yeah, I want to have a better reason than that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So do you have any tips for people who don't feel like they are creative, don't feel like makers? How? What are some ways that they can get started moving into that more creative space? The number one thing I want everyone to think about is that an artist, a maker, a creative, I use all of those terms interchangeably, are not solely the people who hang on museum walls. The kid drawing on the refrigerator or the walls, that is an artist. The person taking photographs is an artist of their food. A person taking photographs of their food in a restaurant. Beautifully Instagrammable. Even if it's with flash and horribly lit, they are, taking joy in the food they're about to consume. You know, that speaks to my heart. It isn't so hard to do something creative. It's hard when you believe you have to be good at it. I actually, I have a freebie on my website if people are interested. It's called the five keys to unlock your inner maker. And the first step is just hushing that inner critic. You know, it lives in the brain, which again is trying to protect you, but your brain has a default negative bias. So it's just kind of like, no, no, no about everything. Hush it, let it go to sleep. And instead, key number two is get yourself a cheering squad instead. See, Navy SEALs have to have a cheering squad in their head where they die when they are on missions. They do not have the luxury of a negative voice in their head criticizing every step of the way. Mm -hmm. You and I are safe in our homes. So there's a lot less at stake. 
when we are on our mission to find our creativity. So how about we put the critic to sleep, give them a vacation and let our cheering squad take up that space. So those are the first two steps. And then once your inner critic is gone and you've let go of the negativity and the fear, you can just be a beginner. A lot of us as adults think that because you know I'm good at cooking, I should be good at baking. They're similar. And you know I have all this life experience, so I should be able to translate that into this thing I don't do. Mm-hmm. And I should be just as good at it, right? But no, baking is a completely different animal from cooking. There's a different application of chemistry and math. And I don't enjoy it. So I'm I not good at it. Mm, no, <laughs> no baking bake. for me. <laughs> My husband, the engineer, amazing baker. Why? More specificity. For him, mm-hmm. that works. For me, it doesn't. I want a dash of this and a dash of that, and that doesn't work. So just be a beginner. We were all five years old or so when we learned our ABCs, and we learned it through a song, right? Mm-hmm. Had to learn our ABCs before we could learn to make words and sentences. And so you have to put yourself back in that place where you're first learning your ABCs. And if you make it fun, which is the next key, mm-hmm. you can just play. We learn etiquette, social etiquette through playing in the sandbox, right? Mm-hmm. So again, all of these beliefs we have as adults began in childhood and some of them we need to revisit so that you are no longer afraid to just start something and just be a beginner, be bad at it. Mm-hmm. And then seek inspiration everywhere because it is all around you. And Mm -hmm. once you suspend your belief that art only hangs on walls, you will start to see art in that Instagram plate, in the clothes you wear, in the choice you make, in the eyeglasses you wear, you know? All the little choices every day, the color of your car, the flowers in your garden, this is all art. And it's always, it's always been there. You just didn't have the eyes to see it. So open your eyes to all of this beauty and inspiration around you. And some of it's not beautiful. I walk around the streets of downtown Long Beach and it's not all pretty. There's a burnt Mm -hmm. out building from the protesting last year. Mm -hmm. But the community has turned that into a literal art project. It's covered in murals. Long Beach is known for having some wonderful muralists. But you have to see, you have to see it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, hush the inner critic, pump up your cheering section, just start something. Don't worry about being good at it. Worry about learning your ABCs by song. And now open your eyes to all of your inspiration around you. I love that. I love that so much. And it really highlights the point that we get to choose how we see things. We can see a burnt out building or we can see community murals or we can see a project that we tried to do and we think it looks like crap, but it's our first step towards something else. It's our first step. It's a learning experience and it's something beautiful that we created, even if we don't think that it's right or perfect or whatever. Mm -hmm. The masterpieces that do hang in museums were not created with the first stroke of that artist's paintbrush. They weren't. They were, that is the compilation of years and years and years of mistakes. That's why you're not supposed to compare your life to someone's highlight reel. Because again, benchmarks are bullshit. And also (laughs) it's taken many, many years for them to get to that point. 
Absolutely. So Paulette, if somebody wants to work with you or learn more about their inner maker, how can people work with you or figure out, you know, more about themselves as makers? My website, petitefont.com um, is where you can sign up for this little five keys that I just walked you through. If you're interested in, um, hacking into your inner maker. I also have a course coming up that unleashes the maker mindset. So it goes through a lot of those limiting beliefs, these ideas we have about how we are supposed to exist in the world. And it teaches you how to remove that so that you can discard what doesn't serve you and turn around your ideas about really who you are and who you're supposed to be. So that'll be coming out soon. And you can also sign up for that on my website. Awesome. I have a, I have a waiting list on the website. So, Perfect. and it, and if you do sign up for the five keys, you'll actually get information about that too. Awesome. And we will have all of those links in the show notes for anybody who is interested in unleashing their inner maker. I love that so much. So anything else you want to add for our audience today, Paulette? I hope that everyone listening shares this with all of their friends so that Kelsey can get a nice vibrant audience, but that all of those people too believe that they can also tap into their creativity because it's there. I promise you, you have creativity living inside you and you deserve to tap into it. Thank you so much for being here today, Paulette, and sharing with our audience. This has been so much fun. It has been, Kelsey. This is always such a treat to hang out with you, but uh, I love that we were able to have this conversation. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And again, if anybody wants to work with Paulette, find those keys to unlocking your inner maker. Definitely make sure to check out the links in the show notes as I will have all the information there for you. And follow me on Instagram where I just drop these nuggets all the time. Yes, and follow her on Instagram as well. You know, we love hanging out on Instagram. And you can even see Kelsey on my version of a podcast on Maker Happy Hour Live. We had that just uh, not too long ago, didn't we, Kelsey? We did. We had a lot of fun that night. <laughs> All right. We'll see you later, Paulette. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Take care. You too.